Today on Onward to Victory, our St. Patrick's Day celebration commences. Whether you're actually Irish, part Irish, Irish for the night, or just love the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, this one's for you as we talk about the history of St. Patty's Day with a special bend to our beloved Notre Dame campus. Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello, Irish fans. Let's get this party started and a happy St. Patrick's Day to you all. This is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your host, Alex Painter. Thank you for joining me here on the show, wherever it is that you are joining from. Now, as I mentioned in the show's introduction, this episode, the 41st in show history, will be dedicated to everything green as we talk about some St. Patty's Day. So grab those green beers, or whatever it is you like to drink, and settle on in. My kids are uh, just a smidgen too young for the green beer at this time, ages 7, 5, and 5 respectively, but we do concoct what has been fondly termed as Rockney Punch in our house, which is just, of course, Diet 7-Up with a couple drops of green food coloring. It's a real hit with the kids, let me tell you. So if green beer isn't your thing, why don't you go make yourself some Rockney Punch? and settle in for the St. Patty's Day special. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 40. It's a real doozy. I took that hot button question of do academic standards help or hinder Notre Dame's recruitment efforts from a multitude of angles. While I'm not sure if a clear consensus was achieved or really can be achieved on that particular question, I did put forth a heaping load of empirical evidence that you can kind of do with what you will. I'd appreciate it if you listened to that one. If not for any other reason, it actually took me a heck of a long time to put together, and it would make me feel better. So a special thank you to our Consensus All-Americans, both past and present, who help fund the show and keep it advertisement-free and growing. So a special thank you to Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey. Mike donates to the show every single month, and man, I cannot thank him enough for the contributions. If anyone would like to join Mike or any of the past Consensus All-Americans, please head over to paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. Every little bit helps and I'll even send some show swag to your home. I have some really exciting things that are coming down the pike here, some contests and possibly some new show merchandise. Thanks to the Consensus All-Americans again, both past and present. So thank you all. All right, how about something interesting? The Irish of Notre Dame have become almost an indispensable symbol of the Irish. What do I mean by that? Well, the island of Ireland has a population of 6.6 million. By contrast, about 32 million people in the United States, nearly 10% of the population, claim some Irish ancestry. And that is just wild. And for many, many of this number, 32 million, the University of Notre Dame has become something of a beacon of Irish heritage and ancestry. So, in a sense, 
That's what I mean when I say they've become an indispensable symbol of the Irish across the world. Well, how about something else of interest that's maybe a bit more on topic for today? St. Patrick, perhaps the most visible symbol of the Irish this side of the shamrock, was actually not an Irishman himself. Now, this is the dime store version of St. Patrick's biography, and there are plenty of other places to get this information, better places to get this information than this podcast. But, however, the man who would later become St. Patrick was reputedly born to the name Maywin Sukkot in Britain in the year 486 AD. Yes, so the man who would actually become St. Patrick was born in Britain. So where does Ireland come into play here? Well, according to the 2012 book titled The Confession of St. Patrick, he was captured by a group of Irish pirates when he was 16 years old and was actually enslaved for the subsequent six years. It was during this time that, despite coming from a family heavily involved in the clergy, that Maywin contemplated his life with much more clarity during the hardship. Interestingly, despite again coming from a religious family, it really wasn't impressed upon him as a youth. But according to the book, it was this time spent in captivity as a shepherd that was crucial to his spiritual development. So somehow, Maywin eventually escaped his captors, trekking 200 miles to the coast, where he would gain safe passage on a boat back home to England. Now, despite Ireland being the home to his enslavement, and obviously not a great period in his life, he felt something of a responsibility to return and spread Christianity to the country, as the official religion at the time was the pagan Druidism. He felt particularly pulled to go back after having a vision in which he later recounted. He said, quote, I saw a man coming, as it were from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, which appealed to me as the voice of the Irish, end quote. He said in this vision he saw the people of Ireland crying out to him in one voice, quote, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us, end quote. So that's exactly what he did. Embarking on a missions trip to Ireland, he spread Christianity, famously using the three-leafed shamrock to illustrate the Holy Trinity. He spread all throughout Ireland, becoming something of a national hero in doing so. So over time, Patrick has become a symbol of Catholicism and all things Irish. He was canonized a saint by the Catholic Church in the 12th century. According to National Geographic, the color green in St. Patrick really spurred in the 18th century, and that originally the color blue was closely associated with St. Patrick for a number of centuries. The color green was closely tied to the association of the Irish, mostly due to their rolling, lush landscapes, which I hope to see someday, as well as the shamrock itself and the leprechaun, who rose to prominence in Irish folklore in the 19th century. The mythical tale of Patrick driving the snakes from Ireland serves as his symbolic conquest over the pagan Druids, driving them out of Ireland as Christianity became the country's primary religion. 
Anyways, March 17th was selected as St. Patrick's Day since it was reputedly the day in which the saint died. The first St. Paddy's Day parade was held, surprisingly, not in Ireland, but actually in New York City on March 17th, 1762. The participants were actually Irish soldiers serving in the British Army and occupying what would later become the United States. This was, of course, 14 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776. Parades, particularly in New York City, began to pick up in popularity throughout the first half of the 1800s. In 1848, six years after Notre Dame was founded, a number of New York Irish aid societies decided to unify their parades and formed one gigantic New York City St. Patrick's Day parade. And yes, this is the one that you will still see to this day. All right, now back to Notre Dame. If you happen to listen to episode 34, released in November of last year about Notre Dame founder, Father Edward Soren, you actually learn that he himself, just like St. Patrick, was not an Irishman. Soren was actually a Frenchman, a fearless Frenchman at that. But however, most of the founding party Soren took with him to South Bend was Irish. So I believe, if memory serves, of the seven priests he brought with them, four of them were of Irish descent. And of course, the school would attract, in majority, Irish Catholics for the first several decades of the university's existence. That did not stop Father Soren to, surprisingly, ban the observance and celebration of St. Patrick's Day on Notre Dame's campus. Now, that was a bit of a bombshell. So how could this be? According to Deborah Rotman's 2010 article for the Alumni Magazine, quote, In the 19th century, March 17th raised some interesting tensions for Irish immigrants. Native-born U.S. residents were already suspicious of Irish Catholics, who were viewed as having an allegiance to a foreign power, the Pope. Celebrations of Irishness were viewed as further evidence that the Irish were not American and were a potential threat. It was to combat this perception that Father Soren, who famously sponsored Fourth of July celebrations for the South Bend community to prove American loyalty, forbade the observance of St. Patrick's Day. End quote. Whew, that is quite a bit to unpack. But here it goes. Notre Dame, of course, was not founded as an academic nor athletic powerhouse. This is a point that we bring up time and time again on this show because context is important. And in the spirit of providing good context, it is important to note that there were several times, more than several times, even that in the school's early existence, it looked as though the school would close. Their existence was precarious at times, at best. And like we've seen many times throughout history, there was this strong sense of nativism that was across the country at this time. Or again, the idea that the interests of native-born Americans were more important and took superiority over immigrants. It was thought that immigrants were not destined to fully assimilate to America, and since they were different, uh, they could never become American, and so on and so forth. Powerful nativist groups such as the Know Nothing Party and, of course, the Ku Klux Klan often targeted immigrants. 
A good visual of this representation of nativism, particularly against Irish immigrants, can be found in the blockbuster film Gangs of New York. However, simply put, Soren did not feel like he could risk the future of his beloved university, which again, if you listen to episode 34, he trekked through the Indiana wilderness in perhaps the worst winter on record at that time to establish it. And he didn't want the community to become a community for the unwanted, so to speak. So alas, he sponsored the Independence Day celebration, but he forbade St. Patrick. Some of you may be thinking, sheesh, that's a pretty harsh thing for Soren to do to a campus full of Irish immigrants or children of Irish immigrants and also German immigrants too. But of course, Soren had the best of intentions, not only for the long-term vitality of the campus by protecting the students and community members from what could be considered potential social conflict, but he also made Northern Indiana a bit more hospitable in the future for the Irish. He did so by purchasing a 120-acre lot south of Notre Dame's campus in 1855. So he sold the lots mostly to Catholic immigrants, both Irish and German, and many of whom actually found employment at the university and other factories in the city. So this area then was naturally called Sorensville, and he soon founded a parish in the neighborhood as well. Historian Lawrence McCaffrey noted that, quote, Irish neighborhoods focused around the Catholic parish served as a psychological haven, preserving faith, tradition, and values, and perpetuating a sense of community, end quote. So I think Soren had the good sense that for his university, Notre Dame, to survive, hospitable physical and social conditions had to be established for the community. And while some people might look at a thing like Sorensville and think that's a segregating a part of the population, I think in this at this time how sparsely populated South Bend was, I think Soren just wanted to ensure that the Irish immigrants of the area could properly, but albeit perhaps slowly, assimilate to the American city. Though the celebration of St. Patty's Day may have been barred from campus, he did aspire to create an atmosphere of inclusion and support for the immigrants seemingly every other day of the year. Now, I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I had no idea that Sorensville was even a thing. It was only after discovering that that I knew this episode had to happen. But again, according to Rotman, by the time Soren's death in 1893, quote, the negative sentiment towards Irish Catholics shifted to other immigrant, immigrant groups, and Americans began to embrace the Irish much more. Frankly, this was by necessity as, quote, Irish immigrants had continued to flood into the country. And as a result, St. Patrick's Day at Notre Dame involved a variety of activities. Every year, a mass commemorated the Feast of St. Patrick, the band played Irish sacred music in front of the dome, and students recited Irish poems to one another for entertainment. Classes were often canceled for the university-wide concerts, banquets, football games, plays, and parades, end quote. According to an 1893 issue of the school paper, quote, the proceedings of the day, which was marked by enthusiastic rejoicings, will be long remembered at Notre Dame, end quote. And so momentum around the holiday on campus continued to build into the end of the 19th century. 
I kind of feel bad because it seems like a lot of this is happening almost immediately after Father Soren's death. However, uh, the historical record is the historical record, but according to an issue of the 1896 school newspaper, quote, the Church of the Sacred Heart was filled last Wednesday with the congregation who all wore green. Students, faculty, and community. They went to hear Mass and listened to once more the recital of the deeds of St. Patrick and the eulogies of the people which has kept 1,500 years unsullied and intact the faith St. Patrick planted on the Irish soil. President Morrissey sang solemn high mass, and Father Burns preached a very eloquent sermon. After this fitting beginning, the university band issued from the Academy of Music played one of the sad and lively airs of Ireland at each of the halls of the university. As is usual on St. Patrick's Day at Notre Dame, the principal part of the celebration was held in the afternoon when the Columbian Literary and Dramatic Association of Brownson Hall presented a drama in four acts, The Ticket of Leave Man, end quote. And man, talk about a rip-roaring day. Apparently there was all of that, but also Colonel Hayes, who was the dean of the law faculty, apparently he gave a very clever and interesting talks to the members of the Notre Dame military companies from the steps of Soren Hall. His remarks were also highly appreciated. Now, I shared that kind of facetiously that it seems like a rip-roaring good time, but however, it was a real step in the right direction. Moving forward, a 1942 bulletin implored the students to remember to celebrate the day with a date at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, stating that, quote, and speaking of our hopes, let's all hope the sons of Aaron honor the good saint by attending Mass, end quote. So it seems that by 1942 with the religious bulletin imploring the students to go to church, that maybe it was less of a requirement and maybe the day was becoming a bit more akin to how it's celebrated today and has been for a long time. But St. Patrick's Day is full of traditions and, of course, widely celebrated on campus today. In fact, there was a conspiracy that was floated around campus for a number of years that the Notre Dame administration actually planned spring break around St. Patrick's Day, which is to say that spring break was scheduled during St. Patrick's Day because, given the Irish heritage and flair of the campus today, even today I should say, that students might get themselves in a bit of trouble if they were left to their devices on campus. So yes, uh, one of these days I would really like to have the opportunity to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in the South Bend area. I think that would be a really, really neat experience and I bet it's a pretty good time. Well, happy St. Patty's Day, everyone. I'll be right back. Some of you might be thinking, what gives? This is a really short episode. Well, it's short for a number of reasons. Chiefly is that I didn't want this episode's listen to get drawn out over multiple days, which I know sometimes tends to happen with the longer episodes because it is a St. Patty's Day episode. So if we can keep it under, let's say, 25 minutes, the chances are good that you'll be able to finish it actually on St. Patty's Day. But I really do hope that you enjoyed that one. 
uh, like seemingly all the other episodes, it was really fun to research and put together. So how about some quick odds and ends here? Uh, first, the next episode will be the spring preview. Offense, defense, special teams, new coaches, you name it. It'll be fairly comprehensive and it'll be out in April. April is the normal month of the spring game, so even if it happens to look a bit different this year, I'll still take a critical look at the state of the program heading into the 2021 season as it looks in the spring. More than likely, as I did last year, there will probably be a NFL draft recap episode. So if you are one of those people who kind of tends to more like the current themed episodes, you got some really good stuff coming your way next month, April 2021. All right, it was recently announced that Drew Brees will be replacing Tony Dungy in the broadcast booth for all the games that are aired on NBC. So I'll be very curious to see how he does. I think it's getting very trendy to pluck former NFL quarterbacks, especially after the perceived successes of Tony Romo in the broadcast booth. But Breeze is obviously a very cerebral guy, and he is a football guy. And I'll be curious. He's also very excitable. So it'll be kind of interesting to see uh, kind of what the dynamic between him and Mike Tirico is. I happen to like Mike Tirico a whole lot. And I, th I thought Tony Dungy did a pretty good job last year, but I'll be kind of excited to get maybe someone a little bit uh, a little bit younger with a little bit more pep. I think that really can set the tone while you're watching the, the football games. But like I said, I'm sure he'll bring a lot of raw excitement to the booth. So don't forget to head over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory podcast. Frankly, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that's where most of the updates about the show are funneled through. So jump over there, give the show a like and a follow, and don't hesitate to share this episode and the show with anyone who you think might enjoy it. It's a show with a little bit different flavor. I'm really proud of that. So don't hesitate to share it with your friends, your loved ones, your neighbors, whomever. But the easiest way to find all that shareable information is on the Facebook page. Now, if you are not of the Facebook persuasion, I can't say I blame you. However, make sure that if, you, if you're using your iPhone, make sure you click that purple podcast icon and hit subscribe. That way, at least you're notified of all of the latest releases. The same can be done on CastBox, Podbean, Spotify. However it is that you're listening to me right now, Make sure you look down at that device or that computer and make sure you are subscribed to make sure that you get all of the newest content. A warm, special thank you again to our Consensus All-Americans, to Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey. A special thank you to friend of the show, Joseph Rakish, whose song, Knut Rockney, serves as the show's theme song. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever it is that you, however you digest music, go listen to that song or any of his other selections as well. So this has been the St. Patty's Day special from Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast and in kindness. I am your host, Alex Painter. Until next time and as always, go Irish. Go Irish.